This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're privileged today to be joined by David Marshall. David's the chief nursing executive of Cedars-Sinai Health System. Uh, and Cedars-Sinai, of course, is one of the most elite, most uh, best institutions in the country, always ranked extremely highly across all kinds of areas, and a magnificent institution. David, can you take a moment to introduce yourself? Certainly. Thank you, Scott. Um, it's my pleasure to be here. David Marshall, as you said, um, Chief Nurse Executive at Cedars-Sinai. Um, I've been at Cedars for about a year and a half. Um, came in June of uh, 2019, moved from Texas, where I'd spent my entire career as a nurse, um, and the opportunity at Cedars was open, and um, someone from Corn Ferry reached out to see if I would be interested, and then I was, and interviewed, and um, ended up uh, with the job, um, sort of my dream job. Um, dream organization, much bigger stage than I was practicing on um, in Texas. Um, but I've been a chief nurse for a little, about 21 years now. Um, left, I started as a new graduate at the University of Texas Medical Branch and left there as the uh, chief nurse executive and then, then came to Cedars. When you, when you talk about being on a bigger stage, Everybody always talks about there is no bigger stage than Texas. Maybe the only thing that they differently is, is New York. So you, you get in trouble when you say you're on a bigger stage today. Well, organizationally the, speaking. Yes, yes. Not state speaking, organizationally. Well, well played. So the, talk about Cedars-Sinai. It's got this truly magnificent reputation that comes all the way from the top, from uh, Tom Prilisek. And I always pronounce the name not quite exactly right, but from, from the very top it comes down. Talk about how Cedars-Sinai sort of become – what is it about Cedars-Sinai that makes it an extraordinary institution? I'm still looking for the secret sauce, but I have a few hints on where it may be. So you, you mentioned Tom Prislak um, being the head. It's really the board that drives um, the organization, and it's an engaged board made up of community members from the Los Angeles area that – you know. I, I think uh, Tom Prislak plays a key role in um, helping to recruit and, and select, but the board really um, sets the tone for things. And then, um, as you said, Tom, as the, the CEO and president, um, is a, a supreme leader. Um, the organization is so well-led. I'm, I'm so proud um, to work here. And then I think a little bit of the secret sauce is based on Cedars-Sinai's founding a little over – um, almost a, over 100 years ago, um, and it, it was founded out of um, discrimination, discrimination against Jewish people. And Jewish physicians in Los Angeles could not admit their patients to other hospitals at that time, and um, they formed their own hospital. So that those two smaller hospitals that were formed, Casper Kahn, and then I think the Home for the Incurables was the name of the other hospital, a funny name. But they later merged and became what is today Cedars-Sinai. Um, quality is the first thought in every action and activity at Cedars-Sinai, from the board down to the frontline staff member. We want to make sure that quality is what we're delivering. And I think that that sole focus on quality and making sure that, yeah, we say we're the best, but we want to show that we're the, the, the best, um, really drives what goes on around here. And like I said, the organization is so well-led. It went into this pandemic 
in such a great financial position because of uh, the work that it had done over the past uh, five years to um, improve its margin. So it was able to, when other organizations were um, having to resort to layoffs, um, when elective surgeries um, went away, uh, Cedar Sinai guaranteed pay for its employees um, through you know June, and um, it's just such a, a blessing I think to be able to work in an organization that is so well led. And I said a blessing. So Cedar Sinai's um, sort of mantra since it was formed um, back in the 1900s has been "Be a blessing." And I think that's part of the secret sauce, too. They try to be a blessing to the community that they serve. So those things combined, I think, are part of the secret sauce. And um, could you mix it up and, and give it to somebody else? I, I don't know. I think it had to um, sort of iterate and evolve that way. Well, and it certainly has emerging values. It's a magnificent institution. It's well-regarded by everybody. Truly magnificent. Talk for a moment about what are you seeing currently with COVID-19 in your area? Then I want to talk to you about the role of chief nursing executives and top priorities there. Yeah. yeah. So um, COVID-19, um, we currently stand at Cedars-Sinai about uh, quadrupled the number of cases we had three weeks ago. In L.A. County, I think uh, yesterday it was reported there were like uh, 2,439 uh, patients hospitalized in um, the county alone. Or maybe that's California. So that that's California, I think. But um, we, um, as I said, have a, a quadruple our census, and we're just right hovering right around 100 this week. So we had 20 four uh, three weeks ago so we are very concerned about and alarmed at the rapid increase and um, just wondering where it will peak this peak um, current peak is higher than the peak back in um, july which was sort of what we call the second wave and that was higher than the, the april peak so has us alarmed and concerned i did an interview with a local cbs affiliate in la yesterday and told them that um the doctors and nurses at Cedars sort of feel like we're no longer the front line. We're the last line, and the community is the front line, and we need the community to do this physical distancing, to wear masks, to wash their hands, and to stay at home if they don't need to travel for essential travel. So that's sort of how COVID's going here. Right. No, and there's not yet a sense of is it tapering off or going still in the wrong direction? Don't quite have a sense yet. Yeah, it's been day over day increases for the, you know, past, um, well, since I guess right after Halloween, um, the first of November, it's been day over day increases. Well, talk about the role of chief nursing executive and also talk about trying to help your staff stay resilient through this period of time. What are the top priorities of chief nursing executive? Today, the top priorities are being visible, listening to your staff, um, making sure that you have enough staff. You know, we went into the pandemic with probably a shortage of around 100,000 nurses in the United States, and this is this is a different disaster than uh, I guess our nation and the world has faced in a long time in um, lots of ways because it's not localized or regionalized. So you're pulling on the whole nation's resources to care for these patients. We're um, struggling trying to um, get travel nurses to come and we're having to pay exorbitant rates that the market is seeing increase I think up to $175 an hour now for an ICU nurse is what um, California is at 
Um, so we're having to get really close to that and um, probably we'll have to match it. But the competition is really you're, you're robbing from Peter to pay Paul. You're taking from somebody who's maybe well-staffed and, and luring their nurse to work for you for the higher wage. And, and, South, and North Dakota, it's you know, been so bad over the past few weeks. I think they were paying $10,000 a week um, for nurses, uh, some of the popular press reports. So staffing is a, is a huge um, responsibility and um, something that you need to try to get right for your staff who are, are, are working and coming to work every day. Uh, so I think, you know, being visible, being present, hearing what your staff have to say, trying to act on what they say, making sure that they have the appropriate PPE um, or personal protective equipment to uh, make sure that they're as safe as they can be when they're providing care to our patients. And, you know, staying open for the other patients that are in our facility. We have 100 COVID patients, that, but that's only 12% of our inpatient census today. We have all those um, 750 patients who are having babies or having surgeries or in with a medical condition um, that we also have to care for. So staying, keeping access available for the community is another huge priority for health systems and I think chief nurse executives who have to provide the staffing. Absolutely. What, what a daunting time and daunting challenge. You talk about this where, where you know, the Plain States, the rural areas, if it's incredibly difficult to get help in Los Angeles, in the Plain States, there's just there's not enough people for the amount of patients. There's just not enough nurses and staff and clinical clinicians and respiratory therapists and everything. We're at a spot where, as you said, we had always been understaffed, and now it's uh, just a heck of a lot worse and really a brutal situation. Right. Um, what about, David, you're on the front lines there, sense of uh, vaccines and any sense of starting to feel one bit of optimism with vaccines coming, and I know it'll be a long time till the vaccines actually have the complete impact we want them to have. Was there starting to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, any sort of positive thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah. You know, lucky to work at an organization where um, the lead author on the study that talked about the uh, first monoclonal antibodies that were available um, is is a faculty member. Um, so we have now a two under emergency youth author authorizations, I think, monoclonal antibodies that are available for therapeutics and um, giving those to people, you know, early in on the onset of symptoms, um, doing that on an outpatient basis. I wrote a message for tomorrow for my weekly uh, nursing staff message that, that talks about hope and how, you know, these vaccines are on the horizon. We're, uh, we've been selected as one of the seven California sites to be a pre-positioning site because of our capacity for ultra-cold storage in our research freezers. So we should receive our first doses on December 7th if uh, things go according to plan. And so I think there is a little hope that's starting to, to glimmer on the horizon, but we're going to go through a, a heck of a time over the next couple of weeks with the increases that we're seeing before we get to take advantage of that hope. Um, but I think it's there, and it's something tangible, and I think we can hold on to it, with at least with the effectiveness that's been reported in the press of the vaccines that are being evaluated for emergency use authorization. Well, fantastic. And I know that I saw that today in the United Kingdom, they approved the 
vaccine for use, and uh, it was, at least the Pfizer one. And hopefully we'll get started here in not too long, and hopefully within a few months it'll make a world of difference in terms of the amount of spread and infection rates and everything. I, I can't wait to see that moment and day. Certainly your workforce, your team uh, could use all the help they can get, even with the magnificent job that you're doing, and just uh, to help in reducing spread. I agree with you. We we are helpful, and um, we we think that maybe we'll get – more uh, access to vaccine than than they're letting on to us today, but um, that's a that's just hopeful wishing, I guess. Nothing wrong with that. Optimism is a healthy thing. David, I want to thank you for joining our podcast today, the Best Healthcare Podcast. Magnificent work that Cedar Sinai does, and it was great to learn more about the history of the institution as well. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Scott. My pleasure.